0: Hello, and welcome to Unseen Being, our monthly show where we talk to artists, scientists, and each other about what the hell is happening inside our brains and bodies when we experience
1: the world around us. We explore some of the intangible and overlooked experiences that contribute to the way we feel. What happens at the center of our experiences when we listen to music, walk in nature, sit on our phones, make morning coffees, zone out, and get into the flow, or simply dance around the room. All of these tiny micro experiences contribute to the way we feel
0: act and behave. So in this podcast we take you on a mini journey of self-discovery, exploration and feed your curiosity about some of the most overlooked yet
1: instrumental elements that contribute to your well-being. Consider this an audio handbook curated by artists, scientists, philosophers and technologists. A critical guide to understanding the well-being of experience in the current age. We bring you the latest in scientific discoveries, but cut the academic jargon and help enhance your understanding of the way everyday experiences impact you and potentially an understanding of some of the tiny changes you can make to improve the way you feel. We are Robin and Catherine, and together we're the founders of Kindest Studios, a
0: creative science studio that explores the aesthetics of human experience. We look at the neuroscience of art's impact on well-being and human connection, and believe that connection to self, others, and the environment is fundamental to human experience. So,
1: today's episode, our focus is nature. Right, so the topic of nature is absolutely huge, and as I think we've all come to realize over the past year, even just going outside for a few minutes on a walk can do absolute wonders for our state of being. Personally, there is nothing more that I love than seeing trees dancing in the wind or simply seeing my houseplants sprout new life and tell me what they need through their subtle cues. By tending to them, visiting them each morning, I can also tend to myself. And if there's one field of research that continues to demonstrate the benefits on our well-being, nature is it. From reducing our cortisol levels, which is our stress response, to restoring our attention and boosting our immune system, the benefits are massive. But today, it's not all about us, it's about nature itself and how we as a collective can better connect to the planet in order to give back to it and each other. Right, Catherine? Right.
0: So today we're going to focus on on one thing, our connection to nature, because there's so much out there about how nature impacts us in a really positive way. And we are going to explore that a little bit today. But what is less explored is how our connection to nature directly translates into our behaviour towards it. So how we impact nature. We are on the doomsday clock, the closest to extinction that we've ever, ever been. In fact, we're 100 seconds to midnight (laughs) and there is no tomorrow. Yet, as we all acknowledge, our behaviour towards nature in many, many cases just doesn't change or doesn't change enough. And one underlying factor would seem to be our disconnection from nature itself or rather our lack of nature connection. So that's what we're going to explore. This idea of nature connection. Now, what is nature connection? On one sense, it's very simple. It's our connection to nature. In fact, actually, in science, it's termed NR, our nature relatedness. And there is an actual scale. Now, it's important, of course, because there's a direct correlation with our well-being. The more connected we feel in nature, the greater impact it can have on well-being. But secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, there seems to be this direct link between nature connectedness and what is known as our PEB.
1: Sorry, what's P.E.B. again?
0: Good point. P.E.B. is a very dry scientific term for our pro-environmental behaviour, how likely we are to act in a positive and protective way to the environment around us. Perhaps actually better to explain them myself as an actual ecologist. So we're going to introduce our first guest, Dr. Sam Gandhi. Now, Sam and I go way back. In fact, he was incredibly important uh, in my journey to my own reconnection to nature. We met one fateful day sitting on the grass outside Greenwich University and I was discussing the fact that I spent a lot of time with technology and and cyborgs. The conversation got out of hand and what transpired was that by midnight he'd lent me a hoodie. I was kidnapped in a very positive, consensual way in his car and we were on our way to Devon where I emerged a week later from a forest, a fully qualified forest bathing practitioner, (laughs) Shinrin Yoku. What he did was actually teach me about how to re-see and learn wonder at nature around us from the tiny insects and leaves to the giant forests we spent the week in. Anyway, I'll let Sam explain.
2: I'm Sam Gandhi. I, I have a PhD in ecological science from the University of Aberdeen, kind of a background in entomology as well. But in more recent years, I've been a, I've kind of gone more into the psychedelic field. So I worked as scientific assistant to the director of the Beckley Foundation, and now I'm, I'm an external collaborator with the Centre for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London, and I've been doing research on nature connectedness and and how psychedelics such as psilocybin can influence that. It's it's an important thing um, to define. And so what nature connectedness or relatedness is defined as is an experiential, affective sense of oneness with the natural world. So it's a measure of one's self-identification with with nature or the sustained awareness of your interrelatedness with the rest of nature. So that that feeling of being part of a larger community of nature. It's important for a few reasons, actually. I mean there's a lot of there's a solid body of evidence to show that nature, people who kind of rate highly in in nature connectedness, tend to rate highly in um, various measures of of well-being. So particularly this form of well-being, eudaimonic well-being, which is sort of an umbrella term that covers aspects of um, self-actualization and the pursuit of human excellence through a life of virtue. So things like vitality, life meaning, purpose, um, personal growth, things like that.
1: So this relationship between nature connection and well-being is one thing we just want to dwell on for for just a moment here. We intuitively know that going outside, being in nature, caring for plants, tending to a garden are all very good for us. All of these things are ultimately connecting us to nature. But what are they actually doing to our brain and body? Well, quite a lot, actually. (laughs) As compared to urban settings, studies will show an 80% increase in our parasympathetic nervous system when we're in nature, which is the system that's responsible for our rest and relaxation. Even being in close proximity to nature has huge benefits. So there's this one study I really like in Canada, shout outs to my home country, um, which showed that residents of neighborhoods with higher densities of trees nearby reported better heart health than those with less trees.
0: That's really interesting, but what about how these things happen? Okay, so what is it in nature that is impacting us in this way?
1: Right. Well well as per usual, and this seems to be a phrase we use often, a lot is happening. <laughs> So the first thing are the smells in the forest really. And we wanted to start with smell because smell usually comes last on people's list and it's actually one of the most potent benefits. So there's these things called phytokines, which are released from trees and they're effectively antimicrobial essential oils. They protect trees from germs and have health benefits for people as well. They boost mood and immune system, reduce blood pressure, stress, uh, anxiety, and confusion. So when we're in the forest, we're, we're constantly taking in these smells. The other that we really like to speak about is attention. So in nature, when we go out there, we tend not to focus on just one thing with our eyes, but instead we take in the myriad of foliage and plant life around us. And this involuntary focus, which is called soft fascination, is proven to restore our attention. So basically what that means is we can go outside walk in nature focus on well just taking in the landscape and when we go back to our desks we're more focused and attentive so i love that idea of soft
0: fascination it's absolutely beautiful but actually what i love even more about when you look at nature which has to do with vision is fractals now anyone who knows me knows i, I love fractals so what a factual is it's a mathematical dimension in nature The maths behind the way the building blocks of nature create everything from grass to trees is mind-blowing. And you get this repeated pattern. Now, the obvious thing people come to think of when they think of a fractal in in nature is romanesco broccoli which actually if you look at it is is insane but that repeated pattern that gets smaller and smaller and smaller is everywhere from leaves to branches of a tree and our brain or rather our eyes have this amazing programming in them that means when they scan across particular fractal dimensions it has this huge effect in the brain. It can reduce stress for up to 60%. It can increase creativity. It can increase things like alpha waves, the sort of the signals your brain are giving off. It's really, really powerful. So just looking at nature has this impact. And then of course there's the other senses. You know, Robin touched on scent. But the sounds, you know, nature isn't silent. We've got birdsong, rain song, wind song. I mean, I'm sure there's even. In fact, I have been in a sandstorm, and it does sound quite epic. And there's a lot of sounds or studies around sound that, that show that this too impacts our nervous system and can help combat the negative impact of noise pollution. You know, one thing I came out of the forest realizing was that far from being silent, it had this beautiful sort of or- orchestra around you all the time. I mean, I came out of my Shinran forest with Sam really changed and so unstressed it was unbelievable of course until being me I got back into the city and found that I had a tick lodged in my back totally freaked out stress response went through the roof got into an uber went to a doctor freaking out she then freaked out and then googled what to do in front of me which is not yet which are done in the car. And don't ever Google ticks. It was awful. I end up on antibiotics for three weeks, bowing I'd never go near a tree again. But as Robin can testify to, I still do love a tree. Anyway, back to the back to the program. <laughs> <laughs> so today we want to actually look beyond what nature can do for us or to us to impact our well-being and look at how we can change our ways and have greater stewardship of the planet by reconnecting to nature. For, as I mentioned earlier, how connected we are to nature impacts directly, and this has been scientifically shown, to improve our pro-environmental behaviour. Now, Sam probably explains
1: this better than I and highlights this obvious need. Um, sorry, Catherine, to interject, but before we throw to Sam, can you just say the word fractals for me again? Fractals? <laughs> try again. Fractals. I think, I think you're adding an R. <laughs> <laughs> I spell it wrong as well. (laughs) Anyways, again, (laughs) back to the program. Again, here's here's Sam.
2: So pro environmental behaviour is more about. I guess, sustainability actions. So things like being careful with water consumption or electricity consumption, like being mindful with your recycling. Sustainability actions in terms of lowering your overall footprint. And, but this is different, I should just say, from, from pro-conservation behaviours. So these are like proactive behaviours where you're doing things such as, say, doing river cleanup or planting trees or, or wildflowers or digging a pond so there's sort of, yeah, they're quite a varied mix of, of actions, actually. Ecological systems are being degraded, species are being lost at rates unprecedented in human history, and, and it's only accelerating. Uh, and like without a full scale mobilization, on the the level of World War II, like, ecologically, we're in deep trouble.
1: I think a big part of finding the solution is completely shifting the way we think about our relationship to nature and how we exist among it. Of course, this is no small task and will take an incredible amount of unlearning and time to do so, but let's take a page out of nature's book for a minute, shall we, here? Who is running the show? Well, humans. If we act more like nature, we can be more mutually beneficial. For example, Plants and mycorrhizal fungi feed off of each other in a mutually beneficial way. We are ultimately no different. And if we begin to see ourselves as living entities with and among nature, then we can begin to see ourselves on an even playing field in some way and be more motivated to, let's say, recycle properly or not just throw our rubbish in the park or in the sea. People forget just how much nature provides for us, I think, sometimes and how much in return we obviously simply destroy it. So. For example, as humans, obviously, we can't live without water. Where does our drinking water come from? Yet a report that came out in September of last year showed that every single river and lake in the nation is polluted beyond legal limits. Exactly. The bottom line is we need
0: to change our relationship to nature. I mean, it is shocking how disconnected we are and how disconnected we accept it ourselves to be, and especially young people as well. Actually, Sam told me of a a really incredible, or in a bad way, a shocking pre-pandemic report, which highlighted how little young people actually get out into nature. And I'll get him to explain it, because we also discussed what he termed rather beautifully the extinction of experience that we're suffering from.
2: So nature connectedness is is declining in, in the West. This partly seems to be coming through uh, an extinction ex- of experience, as, as it's been termed. And this is essentially a diminished capacity for day-to-day interactions with nature um, obviously we're we're an increasingly urbanizing species and over half of us now live in cities by 2050 the un think it's going to be closer to three quarters and obviously cities don't have to be lacking in nature but they they tend to be overall yeah so less and less people are having the the sort of potential to, to have interactions with nature as more and more people are living kind of in urban environments This group of of kids spent less time outside than than prison inmates and I think, yeah, less than an hour a week. And, And like that, that was, you know, that, that kind of incited feelings of horror in, in the prisoners themselves who really, really value their, their outside time.
1: But you know, it's not just the kids you have to coax outside. I have to coax my studio partner (laughs) here outside on lunchtime, Ahem Catherine. Oh, it's so true. I usually fail to get her out with me as well. Average city dweller spends 93% of their time indoors. Like that is alarming. And really, beyond the previous benefits we spoke about, something else happens that's really unique when we go out there in the natural world. We enter this embodied state. So that is when bodies are leading the way, at least on a more even playing field with the mind than in our normal waking hours. But when we're in front of a screen, there's these studies that actually show that we detach from our bodies a lot of the time. We almost forget they're there and we can often experience things like a shortness of breath without even knowing it. It's actually termed screen apnea, when we physically stop breathing for moments in time in front of our tech. So much of our lives is spent interacting with these 2D screens, but theres it's a real bummer because there's an entire 3D world out there that we're missing out on. But now is probably a good time to meet our next guest, Lily Hunter Green an artist who's helping to bring experiences of nature into art for greater understanding and hear her perspective on this connect-disconnect debate.
3: My name is Lily Hunter-Green. I'm an installation artist and a contemporary composer, and I've been developing environmental art installations for around 10 years now. More specifically, I've been working with bees and pollinators since 2014, connection to nature uh well nature is everything Na- nature connection for me is feeling close to the natural world so it's a sort of emotional relationship i guess it's an understanding and an awareness that we are actually a part of nature and we're not separate and um, identifying this kind of interconnectedness you know everything relies on something and i think that like i'm understanding of The fact that we're all intrinsically entwined. So I definitely think there's a disconnect between um, nature and humans in the West. I think there's a disconnect for loads of different reasons. Of course, we're spending more time indoors and online and using electronic devices. But I also think that society is sort of set up for us to be disconnected, especially urban environments. And there's a loss of natural habitats, like a loss of natural surroundings. And on top of that, we've been largely cut off from them. And if we're, like, for example, if we're in the city, we have to seek nature. We have to actively go out to seek it.
0: Lily raises actually a really interesting point. Um, and one that I often find I discuss with people and, and it's a problem we don't just think of ourselves as separate from nature we actually physically divide ourselves from it too think about it there's this you know modern preconception that that playing out in the dirt is wrong or it's bad you know we don't want this wilderness as seen as sort of an uncontrolled entropic factor that is negative you know wild nature's bad we want to tame it somehow Lily actually points this
3: out as I said earlier I'm back in Suffolk at the moment and You know, we're encouraged to live neat and tidy lives, sort of to mow our lawns, for example, to we have this sort of obsession with tidy gardens. Everything has to be manicured. So we're sort of eradicating these wild and uh, natural weeds and flowers. And again, things like insects. To come back to these for me is that they're seen as pests a lot of the time not necessarily bees but all these insects have a role to play and so again I think in terms of disconnect I think we consider ourselves as separate to nature rather than something we're a part of we see earth and nature as the other and I think in a lot of ways people fear the other you know people fear the unknown it's safer to stay inside and stay away from nature children are actively you know encouraged to stay home and then I think via being afraid of nature there are There's something I always come back to because I'm quite obviously interested in it. The idea of the sort of big bug fear, you know, the giant insect fear and being afraid of insects. And I think that like there was this American sort of 1950s sci-fi subgenres depicting insects as these giant monsters, you know. And that's been, well, quite unproductive, to be honest with you, because I think we should be celebrating them. Like the thing about insects is as well. So I like to sort of subvert that conventional stereotype of this big bug um, and to instill a sense of wonder because insects literally have like superpowers.
0: See, I love this idea that Lily brings up about narratives and the narratives that we weave because we base a lot of our expectations on socially embedded narratives. And in our modern world, our narratives are really broken. Think about it, we've got a lot of dystopic narratives um, and there is a place for dystopia, but it's it's not going to help us create a more positive future necessarily. But also if you Google utopia you get these weird images where nature and cities are completely segregated you know kevin kelly from wired talks about the need for pro-topic narratives where we're creating futures where these things are integrated and it's funny as as robin mentioned earlier on we inherently actually love nature. There's a thing called biophilia, this natural instinct which draws us into nature. Is it strange though, isn't it, that you know the most used screensaver is of the desert or the Grand Canyon? You know, we want nature but we don't want to be in it. This idea of, sort of digital nature and it doesn't make up for real nature. And another thing that's strange is this disconnection in terms of where we see ourselves in ecology. Ecologists look at the world and everything is interconnected. You know, the roots of the trees, mycel is a great example. Even in quantum physics, if you read people like Carlo Rovelli, you'll understand that they only ever see molecules in their interactions with each other. Everything is interwoven in the natural world. And yet we think in the modern day, we can step out of that and separate ourselves from it. You know, it's interesting that that Sam points out that it is a very modern thing. And in fact, a low nature connectedness is is not something that the more indigenous people suffer from at all. Quite the opposite. In fact, actually, now we're starting to understand that wisdom. And Sam points out ways to use this ancient wisdom to help us learn how to be better stewards of our own planet
2: in the West. One of the few sort of glimmers of, of kind of good news among this heavy, heavy stuff was that areas managed by or inhabited by indigenous groups were the only areas not undergoing ecological degradation that were inhabited by, by human beings. It seems that the, the nature connectedness of these indigenous communities is very high. And when it is very high, you tend to view your surrounding environment or your habitat. As a kind of extension of yourself, and with that perception comes the insight: why would I wantonly destroy my habitat when it's just going to harm myself? And unfortunately, with all the, the the sort of materialistic technological successes, which have been, you know, amazing of our civilization, we've drifted ever further from that sort of powerful connection to nature. And and with that, we've lost the intuitive the, the intuitive feeling of stewardship.
1: We really need to realign our vision and responsibility of the future. As Sam said, we can learn from indigenous people and adopt their knowledge, but unfortunately the way the systems are set up really discredits our ability to do so. Nature's always trying to claw its way back into the city, We've seen this over lockdown, the birds re-emerging more loudly than ever, or even the little weeds growing in between the pavement. Those little weeds are ferocious. Think about it. They've navigated their way through the pavement to come out and sprout life. How strong do you have to be to be able to do that? Or intelligent? The weeds, they're, they're pioneers. And we need to kind of take a page out of their book. Really, nature is all around us, and we really need to take the time to appreciate it. I couldn't agree more and I say that
0: as a sort of reformed urban dweller uh, who's just been really lucky to have friends like Sam who kidnapped me and, and take my phone and take me to Forest, and Devon or Robin who is genuinely teaching me to look after the plants in the studio because I have never ever managed to keep a plant alive ever <laughs> and what it's teaching me is to, to see the natural world with wonder. And allow for the awe that it really
1: does inspire. And that's what we want to discuss in this kind of next part of the show is, is awe and wonder. So quick definitions here. Technically, awe is something that stops you in your tracks. It's just Oh wow, almost incomprehensible. It's grand, it's sublime, it's extremely powerful, which makes us both feel small and humbled. And Wonder, it's kind of sister emotion, is comparable to something like surprise or curiosity.
0: And in the brain, these become even more interesting. So you can actually see awe in the brain, and it involves multiple brain regions that all activate, and these relate to a range of functions from attention, to conscious self-regulation, to cognitive control, to even social emotion. And likewise, when we when we have that sense of wonder, it also seems to ignite this range of circuitry. And we can see the brain move through curiosity to questioning and then meaning-making. Research is pointing towards this link between awe and wonder, the natural world, and a shift or rather an increase in our nature connectedness. Now we're going to come back to the wonder and awe that is elicited in the everyday just by nature around us, but first I want to mention how we started to understand this connection between awe and nature relatedness. And that was by looking at perhaps the most extreme sense of awe and wonder at the natural world that that can happen, and that is when we see the earth from space. Now this is called the overview effect and as everyone knows has been a slight obsession of mine for a long, long time. Now, what it was, it was when the first astronauts looked back and they saw the Earth rise. They saw the Earth rising up out of the sky, out of the cosmos. And they were flooded with this epic sense of awe, humility. And when they returned, there'd been this shift in the way they acted and thought about the world. They felt so much more at one with the world around us and so much more connected to other people as well. Even things like their signatures were smaller. There seemed to be this sort of dissolution of ego. And they returned with this new sense that nature was part of who we are and that we're all interconnected. And you can actually see this sort of loss of ego in the brain when people experience extreme awe and wonder. There's a disintegration, a desegregation, between what is often highly compartmentalised parts of the brain. It's an effect which interestingly seems to also occur when taking psychedelics, as Sam, who researched this area, will discuss.
2: There's research that I've been involved involved in showing that psychedelics have potential here in sort of increasing nature connectedness in in the long term. I'm just writing up a study now and it's all sort of, um, it's kind of in motion, like part of what seems to be the mechanism is the feeling of, the feelings of ego dissolution that psychedelics can bring about. So, you know, one's ego is your subjective sense of self-identity and under a high dose of psychedelic, it can kind of dissolve and break down and when that happens, it can sort of perceive boundaries between self and other or self and nature kind of dissolve and break down, so you can feel this kind of expanded sense of uh, of unity um, and oneness with nature. And this is something similar, I think, to what the astronauts report when viewing planet Earth and space. Or towards nature is definitely part of it, and that feeling of that feeling of being small, relation to something much greater than the self. That's a core, fundamental part of awe, and nature reliably triggers it along with psychedelics. I think as well that yeah the aesthetic appreciation of nature finding wonder and beauty in nature is a never powerful pathway to to nature connectedness and I think two of the most important things I see right now for humanity to be working towards and us as a civilization is, reconnection with the planet and and restoration of the planet and one won't happen without the other albert einstein a quote attributed to him was like y- you're not going to fix problems with the same level of consciousness that created them the thing that psychedelics are quite good at is is changing consciousness at least temporarily
1: that ego disillusion and connection to nature with psychedelics is really something i can relate to um this one time in Mexico
0: in, <laughs> I
1: love this story in Oaxaca I Let's just say I was by myself without cell phone reception and had the time of my life. And, you know, it was one of those things that you can't really explain to other people where there were these moss covered trees and there wasn't a soul in sight. And I was walking just past a river for hours on end. And I, I really have to say that I'm pretty sure it was the best day of my entire life to date. And I just <laughs> not only connected to nature, but it allowed me to really connect with myself and really just relish in, in nothing else than the nature itself you know But let's just say it was so intense and amazing for me that I wanted to go back and do a subreddit all about this hike. And I wanted to put in the psychedelic subreddit. I don't even use Reddit. And I was just like, more people need to know about this. This hike was made for people to take psychedelics and walk with nature. But while psychedelics aren't for everyone and certainly should not be taken unless under the right setting, and it's worth pointing out they are still illegal. There are a boatload of studies that demonstrate their value in in a huge range of conditions, including PTSD depression and chronic pain. So psychedelics are certainly not the only way to experience awe and there's a lot of ways we can do this across our everyday. That's absolutely right.
0: Um, and it's, it's really worth noting that these changes in people's nature relatedness, they are long lasting. They don't disappear again. These are permanent shifts. Now, Like Robin said, there's lots of different ways to do this. Being me, I automatically think about technology and how can we create this sense of awe and wonder through, let's say, immersive virtual reality. And there's some amazing creative studios doing this. Marshmallow Laser Feast, for example, have some incredible pieces. One is called Through the Eyes of the Animals, where you actually go into a a jungle and you inhabit different animals and you get this different perspective on nature around you. Another one, Tree Hugger, you actually get to go inside a sequoia tree and experience it in a new way. And they can be really, really powerful. Like I said, technology perhaps shouldn't be our first go-to.
1: Yeah, get back to the analog, Catherine. (laughs) There is wonder in the epic the deserts and the mountains, but let's not forget just about nature itself. And it doesn't need to be the Grand Canyon. And it can just be appreciating the nature around us, like loving a tree. You know, there's this copper tree near the studio that just stands on its own and it looks like a silver ribbon. It's incredible. In Clissold Park the other day, this tree was just so perfectly shaped and groomed, rustling in the wind. Yesterday, I saw the moon in the sky at 2.30 PM. And I thought that was amazing. Check out Louis Schwartz time lapse videos of the cosmos. Holy shit, man. Like they are amazing. And how about mycelium? There are currently over 10,000 known mushrooms. And actually there's more bacteria in our own gut than stars in the galaxy. I mean, how about some awe and wonder for our own selves? Exactly. But Lily and I both share this love of bees. Well, I actually used
0: to hate them because I'm allergic to them. And I spent my entire childhood, I grew up in in South Africa, treading on bees, kneeling on bees, getting bees stuck in my hair. My poor mum, you know, frankly every Saturday was a trip to A&E because I would taken on a bee and lost. So I became obsessed with bees and Hymenoptera, so that's ants and termites and all these insects. And they're incredible, not just genetically actually, uh, but their behavior is fascinating. They have these pro-social models of how to cooperate in a society, which are amazing, that can teach us. And these are the stories that that we need to be telling each other, not just to create wonder at the world around us, but like I said, to learn from ourselves, as, as Lily's work helps explore.
3: My approach, obviously, is to find these alternative ways to engage with the subject. So, obviously, putting bees in a piano or inviting people into a hive that's infected with a virus. You know, finding these different ways to enable people to think and feel and respond to it, but also... As I said, we need to focus on the narrative and especially narratives that I think inspire people, like wonder, like you, like we were discussing about the kind of, you know, the insects having superpowers, like like the, the facts are, they're facts and it's scientific facts, but they are like so exciting and so magical and such like, as I said, inspiring stories. And I tend to bring people into those stories. Yeah. And so my main thing, my main approach Highlighting the comparisons between human societies and insect societies, so you know honeybee societies, these job roles, but there are so many, like so many similarities, and so I use that kind of technique to almost embody the sort of bee. This technique to create an empathy so a great example of this and a current example is something like honeybee pandemics for example you know insects or other species other species pandemic it's being researched a lot at the moment and i was working with honeybee viruses long before coronavirus which is why it's quite interesting the the thing about pandemics is honeybees socially distance in the hive when they have a virus you know they they limit contact they step they you know the undertaker bee will efficiently fly the dead bees out of the hive if it's got a virus they have sanitizing strategies they essentially sanitize The entrance of the hive. And it's it's really similar process to everything we're going through. So by understanding that we can empathize with them. We can also empathize with the fact that they're going through their own challenges.
1: That's really just mind-blowing and is another example to show how much we can learn from relational ecology. And it's really cool how they can present this new model for how we live our lives and engage in relationships. And ultimately, it also seems how to protect ourselves. But Lily's story also reminds me of slime molds actually, which are a super intelligent, efficient organism. So in Tokyo, they used slime molds to help better map more efficient routes to the subway system. And what they found is that in a matter of minutes, the slime molds showed more effective routes to the tunnels than the humans or AI system. And I think it's a really good example to show how much we can learn from this non-human intelligence. And Lily actually shares another one of those stories with us.
3: And also I've worked with like opera singers um, looking at, well, when two queen bees are born in the hive at at the same time, they instinctively know to kill each other. And it's actually really performative. They basically emerge from their cell and they call out in like a sequence of musical notes, um, starting with like one G sharp, followed by five G sharps, and they, they there's this call and response between the queen bees, and then they move over to the center, and these worker bees will surround them, and they'll sting each other over and over and over, and one's dead and one's crowned queen. But for me, this is again, it's a micro that like you you have no idea about it until you kind of experience something like that, and so I had these opera singers perform it, and again it's 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 extraordinary when you you almost like i don't know you listen to it or listen to it or see it through a different lens um it, it enables people to connect i think hopefully i guess it's just to go out and be curious and go out and look at things and don't just sort of like go out and uh, there's it's obviously a multi-sensory thing um relationship with nature but i also think that you've got to be so inquisitive like look closely like go out and And also research and learn and then go out because that's what I find as I said earlier the story is what gets me so excited Um, and the more I learn about something the, the, the deeper I delve into it and the more excited you know I think it's just to be my advice is to be inquisitive and curious.
0: You know, curiosity and wonder puts you on a path to feel at one with nature and act accordingly, which, as Lily points out, is a far easier route to saving the planet than taking on the whole narrative of doomsday in one go.
3: When it comes to something like the climate crisis, it's overwhelming. And I think it's fair to give people the opportunity to engage with things on a sort of bit by bit to digest the information and then I think that's where I meant the narrative earlier, the the storytelling and the narrative is so important because it gives people a chance to sort of empathise with it bit by bit 100%
1: storytelling is so key for us to understand things. We need to feel, sense, and imagine stories and situations for them to create meaningful moments, memories, and impacts for us. Which is why art is such a vital medium to communicate a lot of these climate messages. It allows us to digest the information more easily from programs like Heartbeat of the Earth, from Claire Brooks and Google Arts and Culture, to the work of Marshmallow Laser Feast, Lily, and more. Things like data sensification and experiences that allow us to both feel into nature and understand the scale of our impact is so important. But what's more, and what Sam points out, is to be actively curious, to live our lives with that sense of wonder, ask questions, allow us to continue to have a beginner's mind. Sam leaves us with a really lovely study to demonstrate how being in present moment awareness with nature impacts our states of being.
2: And another thing that sounds deceptively simple, but something being revealed from the research is the very simple power of acknowledgement of nature. Simply taking a little bit of time, even moments in your day-to-day to observe nature in the present moment, that acts as a powerful pathway. There's a one uh, sort of tried and tested research-backed approach for increasing nature connectedness. and It's a very the very simple act of like, if you observe something beautiful that evokes emotion in you, in nature, you simply record it. You write a sentence in a journal recording what that thing is. And the this study showed that doing this can increase nature connectedness in an enduring sense. Even, you know, if it's like say it was I think the original study was three items in, in five days. But interestingly, the control group, they recorded facts about nature. And there was no change at all in their nature connectedness. So what this shows is that nature connectedness is it's not a rational knowledge. Based thing. It's something experiential and emotional.
0: I think that's such a powerful phrase that Sam uses. That nature connectedness is, is experiential and emotional. And we need to be open to it. We need to be open to experience nature. Because yes, nature has this huge impact on our well-being, but we also have an impact in, on it. And at the moment, that positive impact is a little bit one-sided. So we need to learn to wonder at the world again. And it really is as easy as Sam says. To just open your eyes and ask questions to remind ourselves by being in it how incredible it is and by default how incredible we are because we are part of it this divide between humans and nature is modern it's dangerous it's unnatural and when we can reconnect not only will we be happy and healthier but we will naturally step up to the responsibility the stewardship we need to save our natural environment and in doing so save ourselves i think the most ironic thing would be that if If all of us here did ever get to see the Earth from space, it would probably be because we'd run out of time and we had nowhere else to go. And space isn't as wonderful as the Earth. Imagine never being able to open a window again or experience rain. All those things that we take for granted. If we're there looking back on the Earth, and if we have that overview effect, it will be too late. So I think just go out, you know, right now and look around you and take that first step to reconnecting with nature.
3: A day one stone
1: And it was beautiful A Day one stone